back on the podcast talking about what does the Bible say about that. Pastor Phil, so great to be back with you. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm looking forward to this conversation, Keith. Absolutely. And we'll get into the topic here in a minute, but recapping a big weekend in the sports sports world uh, with the Super Bowl. Uh, <laughs> well, the first three quarters anyway. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I think it was a lot uh, more low scoring than people initially thought. But uh, what do you think? Did Were you pulling for a certain team? Any surprises? Not really. I, I was just there for that. We had a life group a party. We meet on Sunday nights anyway, so it made sense to simply gather. And we had a great time, had tons of people over, additional guests. Uh, and yeah, it was, it was fun to watch the game. The last quarter was kind of fun. But, uh, you know, good on the Chiefs, man. They won again. Yeah, definitely a close game and a little past my bedtime with the overtime, but it was worth it. And, and honestly, the, the food's normally good at the Super Bowl party. So, Oh, you didn't stay up to see if uh, Jason Kelsey was going to, uh, Travis Kelsey, whoever his name is, is going to propose to Taylor Swift? Oh, actually, I did, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so can I admit that on the podcast? And I Why might not? lose my well, man card bed, right bro. now. But <laughs> Hey, well, uh, definitely exciting, but even more exciting is the new series that we are in, asking the question, what does the Bible say about that? And interesting topic this past week, but very relevant, the topic of sex and dating. Hey, I will uh, tell you this, Keith, if, uh, if, if the Super Bowl put people to sleep last night, I don't believe that sermon yesterday did. That's right. That's right. Um, it was it was really a great message and, uh, and stirred up a lot of questions that we're going to tackle here in just a minute. So let's uh, dive right in, answering the question, what does the Bible say about sex and dating? Well, when it comes to these topics, Phil, uh, specifically about dating, you said that instead of worrying about so much finding the right person, it's more important for us to focus on becoming the right person. Uh, that's a great point, but what exactly do we mean by becoming the right person, and how do we know when we've achieved that? All right, well, Keith, as we said yesterday, I think our definition of a disciple uh, gets people pretty well in the ballpark of the goal that we're shooting for, and that's just not in terms of being the right person uh, as a preparation, a preparation for dating and marriage, but uh, really in all things, uh, to be a growing follower of Jesus who lives and loves like Jesus and leads others to follow him. But beyond that, I was reading earlier today in Ephesians, chapter 3 and I think about this prayer that Paul prayed and I would I would say this is where we ought to be striving to uh, to arrive and achieve as followers of Jesus in preparation for being the right person where he says beginning in verse 14 for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I would say if someone is striving to, to have that as reality in their lives, they are well on their way to be ready to be the kind of person that, that God wants them to be, uh, in making that connection with another man or woman of God. But the other key thing is in terms of the great question, how do you know when you've, when you've arrived at that point, when you're ready, now that you're, you are the right person, you want to find the right person? Well, two things. One, man, it is so critical to invite other godly voices into your life, right? In this matter, especially because it is so easy 
to mislead ourselves when, when we're filled with emotions and, and we have these, you know, these uh, emotional connections and desires with, a, with another man or woman. But the fact is we need a godly voice, uh, typically someone of our gender, to help us navigate through this and say, what do you think, man? Do you, do you feel like I'm, I'm making some progress here? The other thing, too, is, again, as I shared yesterday, 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourself under God's mighty hand, and God will lift you up in due time. And so in many ways, I think God is going to answer the second half of that question when we are prioritizing the first. Yeah, that's a great point. And if I could just share from my personal experience, you know, in Bible college and in those years, I spent a lot of time, you know, asking God for a wife and, and looking. But there was there was a season where I feel like I was just really honed in and, and pursuing God and, and growing personally. And it's almost like when I stopped worrying about finding the wife, and I really focused in on God, one day God just said, okay, that's it. That's right. Um, and so, yeah, I, uh, I, that's a great point. I appreciate you sharing that. Well, you made this statement, Phil, dating is an on-ramp to union um, or marriage. So according to the Bible, is it wrong or sinful for a Christian to, quote, casually date? What, is there something wrong with that? Well, first of all, I would have to talk a little more to an individual. I would say to some degree it depends. I would say it's definitely not wrong or sinful because, again, the Bible doesn't even say anything about dating per se. We're going off of principles here versus exclusive, or should I say explicit statements. Uh, but I would say this. Casual dating, as I understand it, is where you date this person over here for a little while, then you break up, then you date this person over here for a little while, then you break up, then you date this person over here. I don't know that I would say it's sinful, but I would say it's pointless. Not to mention, it, not only is it pointless, but it's full of negative potential. Uh, you, I mean, there, there is the emotional connection that you or the other person would be making with you, and then you just break it off and move on to somebody else. Uh, this is one of the biggest reasons why I think we as parents need to help to guard our children's hearts and why, you know, the, the, the typical teenager, 14, 15 years old, let alone a, a 12, 13, or 14-year-old, does not need to be in a, a relationship where they're just in and out casually. Uh, we, we need as parents to help them to guard their hearts. I, I think, as I mentioned yesterday, uh, th this, this uh, revolving door of, of relationships can also be very misleading because we're asking God to train our hearts and equip our hearts to make a lasting, lifelong commitment to one person. And this serial dating tends to um, uh, develop more of a, of, of a variety-based you know, experience. And, and at the same time, I think it just it, it helps to build in a negative way some poor relationship decisions. I mean, you remember, I remember back in, I mean, even junior high school and even high school, uh, we, we, we knew people who they would be going out with someone and then they would break up and within like three days, oh, now they're going out with this person. Then that lasts for a little while, then they break up. And then a week later, now they're going out with this person. And, and I've told my kids this before. I said, look, I've known people who made those kind of relationship decisions. They always felt like they had to be in a, in a they always had to have a boyfriend, always had to have a girlfriend. And usually those are the people, as I watch their lives unfold, they were the ones who made poor choices in a spouse and in many cases ended up with a failed marriage, sometimes more than once. Yeah, definitely. And it, it seems like uh, if, I, if I'm understanding kind of what you're saying here is that we, we place far too little value on, on dating um, and, and maybe, um, maybe have lost a, a sense of the value of friendship, right? Mm. So I, I think about, you know, whether it's teenagers or, or adults even that are single, 
that you know would say, well, I'm I'm dating because I'm trying to see if this is someone who I would be interested in. Um, but you could do that through friendship, um, right? And, and maybe reserve dating for when you know that they may be. Yeah, and and I would like to just simply add that. You know, we obviously, I kind of telegraphed our own family's philosophy on dating yesterday. And, and by and large, I mean, my, you know, my, my teenage children are not, they're just, they're not allowed to date. Uh, we, we strongly encourage them to build healthy relationships with members of the opposite sex, you know, in, in groups, hanging out, enjoying time on sports teams and that type of thing. So it's not like we keep our children locked away from any contact with the members of the opposite sex whatsoever. Uh, that's that would be a, a, a very poor characterization of, of kind of our strategy as, as, as God has led us. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, speaking of um, parenting and especially parenting teenagers, um, you talked about the importance of having those conversations and setting some boundaries for dating. Um, but sometimes that can be difficult. So can you provide some insight on how best to approach this topic with your teenager or with your child, especially when maybe you haven't set those standards previously? Well, that's a great question, especially the last part of that question where let's just take, for example, you have a family that comes to our church and they hear a message like we did yesterday and they look at what they've been doing and maybe they've got, you know, their, their kids are 14, 15, 16 years old or whatever. They've had a very casual kind of just laissez-faire attitude toward their children's dating I mean, and, and, and all of a sudden they hear this, they see the scripture, they totally agree with the message, and they're thinking, man, how do we get this thing turned around? Because we've kind of let this thing out of the, out of the bag, in a sense, in our home. How, how, do, how do we kind of get back on track? So, and this, is, this goes with any, any parenting wisdom, right? When my wife and I, whenever we talk to a family or a couple like this, we say, look, I mean, yes, the first thing you need to do as a parent is you, in humility, need to go to your child and apologize that you have failed to be the parent that God has called you to be. Uh, that takes a lot, of, uh, that takes a lot of, of humility to be able to do that as a parent. But you, but you have to go to your child and say, you know what, here's the deal, guys. We, as parents, we have failed you, and, and we ask for your forgiveness, and, and, and we, we're apologizing to you because we believe now that, that God wants us to shepherd you in this process and help to set you up, always explaining the why. You know, it's not just the what, here's the rules, but what's the why behind it? Because we really believe that, that God does want us to help you get set up to be one day that shining city on a hill. Uh, and so we're, we're going we're gonna to do things a little differently going forward. Uh, but, but at the same time, you know, as I said, setting guidelines for dating relationships, that's like a subset of just the bigger set of wise parenting, right? And it's important that for a parent to, to look at themselves first and do a self-assessment and say, you know what, if, if we've kind of dropped the ball in this area of shepherding our children through these, through these teenage years in terms of dating, hmm, is it possible that we have, we have dropped the ball in other areas as well? We've probably got some work to do here in our own lives. Because here's the thing, if, if all of a sudden you try to play it straight in the dating arena, but you're still just kind of playing fast and loose as parents in other ways, or you're just completely oblivious to what you're, you know, you, you've got to kind of provide consistent across the board leadership in all areas. But, but in terms of this, and really in any time when a parent says, man, we, we have not done well in this, we need to get this thing turned around, the very first thing is certainly beyond a self-assessment is to go to your children in humility and with a sincere and authentic apology. Yeah, that's great advice, and um, definitely want to go approach that with a lot of prayer. 
um, and, and asking the Lord uh, for wisdom and uh, His Spirit to move. So uh, thank you for that. Well, uh, you said during the message that union is the context for intimacy. Uh, and so we know that that means that according to the Scriptures, biblical marriage is the only proper context for sexual activity. Uh, but if we're being honest, Phil, there's a ton of people, uh, some even within the church, who believe that you know things like living together or engaging in sexual activity outside of marriage uh, is a wise way of vetting a prospective spouse. They might say, well, how do I know if I want to be with him if I don't try it out first? How would you respond to that? Well, the two answers is, first of all, that, that perspective is unbiblical uh, because uh, simply stated, as we said yesterday, dating is not marriage. Uh, and so any sexual activity that takes place outside of that committed union of marriage is sin. I mean, it is, it is not just a bad idea. It is sin. Uh, and it is going against God's very clear teaching in the Scripture uh, in, in whatever way, right? I mean, in th- you, you say, well, we want to try things out. Well, that, that's not the point. I mean, the, that's, not, that's not the point of uh, the, the relationship prior to the marital commitment. You don't need to try things out. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, you you think about someone who someone who goes to the marriage altar, having never been with a man or a woman sexually. This world would paint that person as just, oh my goodness, you have not been trained, man. I bet your wedding night's going to be terrible. You know, you just don't know anything. And quite frankly, I mean, when when you when you have a man or a woman who's who's learning together. And, and growing together, again, I, I think I've shared this with the congregation before, but someone handed me a book about three months before I got married called How to Get Your Sex Life Off to a Great Start, right? What did I really know about it? Uh, that, that book was not so much a blessing in terms of the mechanics of it all, but, but, the, but the philosophy, right, in terms of what is this really all about? Is it about you getting yours and just enjoying yourself? Or is it about an opportunity for a husband and a wife to serve one another? So those are some of the things. Again, it's not just thou shalt not do X, but rather there's always a flip side to that. Well, if, if, if God says don't commit adultery, then on the flip side he's saying thou shalt have mind-blowing sex with your wife, right? So, I mean, we're not just trying to keep sex from people. God is certainly not doing that, but he's saying, hey, I'm trying to set you up for success. So not only would a cohabitation and sex before marriage and so forth. Yes, that would be sinful, but it would also be unwise. You know, as we shared yesterday, and we could go on and on to talk about this. Pastor Rob talks about this a lot in the uh, the reengage and the merge curriculum. That uh, that the divorce uh, rate among couples that previously lived together before they got married is much higher. So for for a number of reasons, how it kind of it kind of plays with the mind in terms of what making a commitment is all about, uh, and. I mean, it's just, it's unwise to, to live together uh, and cohabitate before you get married. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, you mentioned in the message that um, when it comes to, you know, to sex, it's more than just the physical activity. There's an emotional bond that happens. And, and you know, all of that is intended to be done in the context of marriage. Um, yes, because God says so, but just from a wisdom perspective, um, there's a safety that comes in the commitment uh, that has been made, um, where I can be vulnerable because I know that I have committed uh, to this person, they have committed to me in the bond of marriage. Um, so, so much involved and so much that we could say about that, but now it's time to address the elephant in the room, 
or should I say the rocket in the room? (laughs) Hey, great illustration, by the way. Um, And in case our listeners have not listened to the message, want to encourage them to go back and listen to it. But Phil, I got to be honest, I think you may have dethroned your throw another log on the fire as the greatest hit because the number of calls and text messages I've gotten about uh, this message has been tremendous. (laughs) Yeah, I I only got like five texts uh, yesterday afternoon saying, hey, rocket man. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, these guys want to just kind of give me a hard time, and that's fine. It's all in good fun. Yeah, no, I thought it was great, and I, w- I, was, uh, I, was, uh, I thought it was a great illustration. But, uh, but let's talk about that for a minute. You were speaking specifically about um, just your personal conviction on long engagements. Uh, why did you say that you generally advise against those? Um, and what about those who are afraid to rush into a commitment just because they can't control their sexual desires? Sure, that, that's, that's one way to misread uh, 1 Corinthians 7, which, by the way, uh, is the Scripture passage that I referenced yesterday. If, uh, if we were to look at 1 Corinthians 7, the verses specifically uh, that I was referencing would be uh, verses 8 and 9, uh, where Paul the Apostle says, To the unmarried, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. So he says, hey, there's nothing wrong with being single. Uh, in fact, there's many advantages from Paul's perspective. But then verse 9 says, but if they cannot exercise self-control. In other words, if, if you're single and you can't exercise self-control where you are, are just jumping into these sexual activities and so forth, then he says you should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So, yes, I'm sure some people could think, well, then I guess I just need to go out and find a wife so I can have sex. Well, that misses the whole point. That's, that's not the point of, of this. And certainly, I'm not suggesting that anyone rushes into marriage just because they're having a hard time controlling themselves. But, but what I am saying is that most, in most cases, okay, and we're, just, we're talking real life now, okay, in most cases, people are already going further than they need to go, okay? And I'm even talking about Christian people. Uh, past, you know, Pastor Rob and Tula uh, lead the Merge uh, curriculum, which is our premarital uh, course and it's a great, great—I mean, really, just solid, solid for couples who are engaged or seriously dating who are just trying to figure out and prayerfully figure out if marriage is their next step. Uh, so, what that does is, it, it one, it invites a, a an external voice, and again, it's so important when when we're when we're setting up to make the second most potentially make the second most important decision we'll ever make in our whole lives. Of course, we would want godly wisdom from people who have been down the road further than us. But, you know, one thing that Pastor Robin Tula will tell you is that, you know, when, when they get down to it and, and just get brutally honest with these couples, many of them, probably the majority, quite frankly, that come to merge, um, most of these couples are already engaging in some form of sexual activity. They're, 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 they're already somehow, if it's not, you know, intercourse, it's, it's something that's just short of that. And so that's all the more reason why we just we have to just address it. I mean, just address it. And yes, I mean, I had a few people be like, ha, 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 rocket man, rocket man. I said, you know what? Here's the thing. No one will ever forget that or the truth that was connected to it, right? And it's, it's just, it, that is where people are. Uh, and even in my own life, right? I mean, I was not just up there just saying things to get a laugh. I mean, I, I w- looking back, I wish we would have just gotten married in April, you know, a month after we got engaged versus waiting even four or five months. Yeah, I totally agree. And in fact, I, I had someone tell me uh, that their their children were not in that service, but they they had them go back and watch it once they got home 
um, mm. just because it was that powerful, and they want it to have those conversations uh, with their kids. That well, are, yes, uh, and that that that's the thing. So beyond just the the ha 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 feedback, that was the main feedback I got from people to say, man, that generated some great conversations in our home at lunchtime or later in the day or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And I've heard some of the same from our life groups already. So uh, definitely a very relevant and important topic. Uh, well, we're almost out of time for today, but let's wrap it up the same way that you did in the message, Pastor Phil. And that is this, ultimately, how does the glory of God inform the way we think about sex and dating? Well, that's a great way to wrap it up because at the end of the day, we did say that glory is the thing that really drives everything we do. And not just sex and dating, but everything. God's glory should inform everything. Our number one priority of seven priorities at Crossgate Church is the glory of God. A couple different ways. Yes, we mentioned Matthew 5, 14 to 16, where where, where God, Jesus uh, says, uh, you know, you are the light of the world. Uh, A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Uh, you know, this is ultimately for God's glory, as I basically paraphrase that. But you think about it, okay? So as, as, we, as we kind of assess what our dating and our, and our sexual uh, practices are, our, our, our perspectives on that, I go back to John chapter 3, verse 19, where Jesus said, uh, Light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So... Anything that's going on between myself, of course, I'm married now, but let's say I was single, between myself and a, and a young lady, uh, you know, and I'm in high school or college or what have you, uh, I've got to ask myself this, is this in alignment with light or darkness, right? So that, I mean, God's glory clearly is connected with light, not darkness. In addition to that, I mean, I think about just pleasing Jesus, you know, it's just seeking to glorify God and living a life that's pleasing to Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.15, where it says, uh, he, meaning Jesus, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. So again, I, I, that's the filter through which I, should, which I should be looking at all of my decisions, but certainly dating and sex. Is this something that's pleasing to Jesus, or is this just something that's pleasing to me? Right. So those are just some, some questions to ask. Yeah, and um, it comes to mind one of the scriptures that you called out in the message, uh, I think is a great way to wrap it up. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things will be added unto you. And that is so applicable for the area of sex and dating as well. So Pastor Phil, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for this series. Uh, so helpful, so relevant uh, to real life uh, today. So can't wait till next week. Next week, what does the Bible say about Taylor Swift? Just kidding. (laughs) Have a good one. Take care. Thank you for listening to the More and Better Disciples podcast, a ministry of Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. To learn more, join us on our website, crossgate.org.